This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So at The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. So that's Matt, that's Zach, that's Derek. Guys, we're going to be getting into 1 Timothy 4, and I just got to tell you from the very, from the very beginning, from the jump, the first like three verses of First Timothy 4, there's so much there. Like I feel like, and there's so much throughout the rest of it, but like we could probably spend the, the entire time talking about the first couple of verses. So I just want to read verses one through two, and that is like in the middle of the sentence. So like verse three kind of keeps going. So I just want to read verses one through two because there's a lot there. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later or latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity or insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Okay, so a few things I want to point out and tee you guys up to talk about in latter times. Okay, everyone likes to say we're in the end times, but my goodness, like the things that are talked about in this chapter, I can't think of a time that was this decaying in terms of society, right? Because people like to talk about, oh, this is the craziest time in the history of whatever. Okay, go back to World War II. Like, like that's, that's pretty crazy stuff. But there wasn't a degradation of culture. There was just slaughter happening. So latter times, the word depart there, the Greek word used there is the same one for apostatize, where we're seeing people deconstructing. Mm-hmm. We're seeing people moving away from the faith, like seeing people presenting their own version of Christianity. And then uh, specifically, I wanted to speak on deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. I always describe that. I look at postmodernism. I look at Marxism. I look at the LGBTQ revolution. I look at communism. I look at secular humanism. Those are the deceitful spirits and teachings of demons because in a lot of those worldviews, they sprinkle in a little bit of a Judeo-Christian ethic. Mm -hmm. So it tastes enough like ice cream that you don't notice the diarrhea inside of it kind of a thing. But I mean, guys, y'all can go wherever you want to there because Again, just in those first two verses, there is a bunch to talk about before we, you know, get into the rest of the chapter. Well, I'll say where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a different place to buy ice cream than you go to buy ice cream. Well, no just, you know, no you got enough. You have to have enough in there to where they don't notice. I was right? going to speak to the colorful language that Kyle used as well. Why? You know, what I was going to say about y'all the are Bible, used to it though, by now. it all comes back to that tried and true narrative that that was started in Genesis 3, right? Did did God really say? Mm-hmm. Does God exactly say right. this? And so all of those things can be wrapped up into the enemy, the devil, the demons and his cohorts are are going to come in and and try to get us to think like did God really say that or does does God's word really say and like if you go back to last week when we were talking, does God really say it's got to be a man? Like, is that really what's there? And so, like, that's nothing is new under the sun. Like, that's 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 been something that Satan has been doing since the dawn of creation. Absolutely, Matt. Okay, so uh, Kyle, I'm glad you started there and paused us there because there's so much in that first in those first two verses. One, now the Spirit expressly says. I found that really interesting, right? Because he's saying. Spirit, capital S, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, like, hey, the Holy Spirit has revealed these things to us, which the Spirit still lives and moves, mm-hmm. and, and we have to be oh, sensitive to the Spirit, um, and, and that we will depart by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching them. Well, first, that's a bad idea. I mean, that seems like a bad idea. But secondly, through the insincerity of liars. I tell my kids, so I, I, I've got a 14-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son, and I teach my kids, we watch movies, and, and always the good guy makes a deal with the bad guy. And I ask them, hey, is that a good idea? No, because bad guys lie. They're not held to the same standards. And here, Matt, I'm so glad you brought up Genesis because we know God's word says that the, the native language of the devil is lies. That's what he speaks. And so he's very familiar with that. And it was either John Eldridge or Mark Driscoll that I was listening to a book and they talked about, that is the enemy's native language 
and we don't speak that. So when we're trying to communicate with him, we're behind. Like he's lying. We don't hear it as lying. We assume everything's truth. And, and therefore, we're not on guard. We're not prepared. And so, Kyle, I think you're absolutely right. Is This is the deconstruction of the way that we think. And it is lie with enough truth to be believable. And so we don't always perceive it and we drink it down. Yeah. And I think the more exposure you get to that, they talk about being your, you know, your conscious is seared, mm-hmm. which is like being cauterized. Mm-hmm. It takes some time, but you know, as you're exposed to it more and more, it becomes a dead part of you that's difficult to, to detach from and understand and, and I think come back from. So you've got to protect yourself in terms of who you're with and how you're interacting at all times. Okay. So good point. So Zach, how do we do that? How do we, how do we stay sensitive and not get cauterized or seared? It's a great, it's a big question. <laughs> uh, I, I think, from, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I think it's, I think it's getting into the word constantly. And mm-hmm. I think it's preaching to the gospel to ourselves. Alistair Begg talks a lot about like the gospel is not something that we hear. And then we go, cool, got it. I'm a Christian. That should be something that is so central to our belief that we are preaching that unto ourselves before we're preaching it to anybody else on a daily basis because we are in constant need of the gospel and we do nothing we do nothing to gain any of our own salvation and so we should always be preaching that to ourselves i think that's those are two of the things that i would say well no on the preaching real quick zach on the preaching the gospel to ourselves part we have to make sure we're preaching the the whole of the gospel right. because we've gotten in modernity. True. And I think this potentially comes from deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons and people whose consciousnesses, consciousnesses are seared is you're getting the gospel of God loves you. That's it. But that's not, not the, that's not the gospel right. though. You don't understand what a sacrifice Jesus made is if you don't understand your own depravity. Now, the opposite side of the pendulum is you only talk about how depraved you are and how horrible you are, and how you're just a wretched sinner, and all that, and that, that's all you talk about. It's like, no, God loves you in such an extreme way that he did something very extreme so that you could be in his presence, but he had to do that because you suck so bad. Like, you, you, and you didn't suck so bad because you're a mistaker, right? People talk about, oh, I had some unhealth in my life, or I made some mistakes. It's like, no, 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 I think the word you're looking for is sin. Like, you had some sin in your life, and you were born into that. You didn't have, you basically didn't have an option, right, from the get-go. But we get this kind of bastardized version of the, of the gospel. So if you're going to do what Alistair Beck says you should do, which I think in general is pretty good advice, like you, you've got to make sure that you are preaching the whole gospel to yourself. I think the bastardized gospel would fall right into what, what Paul is talking about here about, from liars. And like that, like if we can say that the gospel is only God loves you, like that's a really inviting message to hear. And, but that, I think that falls right into that, what he's, what he's telling us to avoid there. I think what's the verse where it talks about, you know, you look at yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. and then you walk away and you forget your image. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me is convicting. So how, how can you read this? How can you absorb it? And how can you take it with you at all times in a way that you internalize it so that you're, you're not putting yourself in a situation where you're becoming cauterized? I mean, that's a question I'd throw back to you. I mean, how, how, how can you do that? I agree. I, th- I think you guys are spot on with it, the same way that I'm thinking too, right? Like openly, foundationally read the gospel, understand it, apply it to your lives. Um, oftentimes, right, if something really good happens in life, we like to look in the mirror, but if something bad happens, we look out the window, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's the natural tendency of self, which I think it should be the opposite, right? Of saying something bad happens, let's first start in the mirror and say, all right, where it, is this on my shoulders? Did I fall short on this? And I think that that's, that's my desire that God's word does for um, people who are listening. And that's my desire that God's word does for all of us, myself included. Um, I think the other part to that, Zach, is, um, I think you talked about this last week, being in community and the desire of the church or the design of the church is to be in community some way because nobody can read your Nobody can read their own label because they're, they're inside the bottle. But you have people around you that can read your label and say, hey, look, I know that this might be a blind spot for you, but I see this behavior, I see this activity, I see this perspective, I see this pride, and I'm bringing it to you and I'm pushing, right? What that requires is we have to push our relationship equity chips to the middle of the table. Say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing in and I'm betting, but I'm, I'm telling you this is what's going to happen. And it takes a level of humility to receive that on the other side which again happens as a result of God's word.
Yes, 100%. It's, it's effort. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be in the Word, and you've got to be around people that are challenging. Yep. Well, I, I do want to spend a little bit more time talking about, Zach, kind of what you're talking about in terms of the consciences. I can't say that word out loud. Can somebody <laughs> say that word right? Conscience. No, it's, it's a plural of conscience. Consciences. Consciences. God bless America. This is what I do for a living, and I can't talk. But like, the, through the insincerity, the insincerity of liars mm-hmm. whose consciences are seared, it's almost implied there, and again, I, I want to be careful when you use the word implied and then you start talking about Scripture, okay? Because then you're getting into eisegesis territory. But what you're implying there is that they, they almost don't know how insincere their lies are mm-hmm. because they have a seared conscience. And so it's easy to talk about the conscience being seared when you're looking in culture and how, how a woman can walk into an abortion clinic to get her fifth abortion and walk out and make a, a giggly TikTok video. You only get there if you have a seared conscience. But specifically in these verses, they're talking about people that are devoting themselves to the spirits and teachings of demons. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think of so many cultural examples of the teachings of demons. Like, how do you get drag queen story hour? Like, how does that happen? Because nobody cared to talk about drag queens until you started bringing our kids into it. And then it's like, wait, no, 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 no. Like, you could do your depraved little crap over there by yourself. But now you want to indoctrinate our children into it. You can look at it uh, with critical theory. You're bringing in critical race theory. You're telling the children of color in the classroom that because of the level of melanin in their skin that they are lesser than and they're oppressed. And you're telling all the white people in the class that regardless of how you acted or what you do or even your family history, that you are the oppressor. And it's like these things are being taken in hook, line, and sinker in culture. And I believe in the last episode, we talked about, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia and all these other places that don't buy into critical theory at all. Like they don't buy into the trans ideology and trans agenda that they're not having problems here because they can lean on what the scripture is saying because they're not pretending as if these seared conscious ideologies of everybody else like that actually makes sense. It's like, no, no, we're not going to go on that morality. We're going to go on something else. Yeah. Think about uh, your conversation recently with Sean McDowell. And compelled speech. At the, I, oh, yeah. At the end of last year, yeah. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's, you know, you've got a group of individuals that have put themselves in a position where they buy into a pronoun situation, mm-hmm. as an example. And you can sit there and, and hold that at bay, and it's out there. But as soon as they come to you and require that you have to say something that's contradictory to what you believe, it's in your front doorstep. Yeah. And I think now that's what we're dealing with. Because it used to be, here are the words you can't say. Now it's, here are the words you must say. Right. Correct. Like it's compelled speech versus here's the speech that we would like to control. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. So w- one more thing on this, and then we'll cruise on maybe here to, to three and four, is what I see about this is now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves. Okay. Paul was talking, he's writing a letter to Timothy talking about something specific, referring to something specific that was happening in the church in Ephesus at the time, right? Yet here we are, 2,000 years later, referring to stuff that's happening in our church and society. And so there's this underlying theme, and I think we can't be oblivious to the fact that there is a constant battle, a real battle going on between good and evil, light and dark, um, and a constant overthrow or appeal, usurp of, uh, trying to usurp authority from a real enemy against a real God. I 100% agree with that. And some of it looks like critical theory. Some right. of it looks like word of faith. God wants you to be rich. Like, so some of it you can go, oh man, yeah, I would never believe that. But if I give enough money to my church, God's going to bless me with millions of dollars. And so th- like, there's so many avenues that Satan can take to try to divide the body of Christ. And I think that's why always going, by what standard? By what standard are we going? It always goes back to the Bible. Yeah, if you don't believe it's real, go back to Lewis's challenge, right? Can you, can you spend five minutes and not sin according to this standard? And almost nobody can, not almost, literally nobody can. So if you don't think it's real, try it. It's, real, it's a real battle. Yeah. Light and dark. Okay, cruising on. All right, let's, let's go here. Verse three, I think, is interesting. For um, There are liars who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Um, from what I read, I, I believe Paul was referring to a specific group of people inside the church of Ephesus who were forbidding, you know, calling people to abstinence and, and forbidding marriage and, and calling certain foods 
unclean, even though they had then been called clean. Is that what you guys saw as well? I, I, I do, and I think you can you can um, carry that out a few thousand years later to the Catholic Church. Like he's he's literally preaching against some of the practices of the Catholic Church before before what we know as a modern day Catholic Church existed, with priests being called to celibacy and not marrying. And like I thought that was interesting. I've never I've never really thought about it that way. But then you know what I'm looking at is like, oh man, don't like don't be married. Interesting. That's an interesting thing to say. So I, I, there's some interesting correlations to me. I agree. I, I, I do find it interesting. You know, he's saying, hey, it's not wrong to, it's wrong to forbid marriage, yet in one letter, Paul appeals saying, hey, it's better if you aren't married, right? Be like me. So that way, it, we're all married men. You understand the, the challenge, right, of sometimes choosing your wife or choosing a passion or the church you're serving or something like that. It's constant. You know, there's a tension to be managed there. Okay, cruising on for uh, verse 4. For everything is created by God is good. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. There's a lot there. Yep. That's, a big, that's a big statement, sentence in the Bible. What do you think? Well, and even, even in the first part, for everything created by God is good, uh, most people think that's referring to what was talked about in verse 3, which is referring to marriage and referring to food and all those different things. But that can be extrapolated out even further to just talk about, like, if God created something, he created it for good. I got a message the other day um, about the intro-outro music of this podcast, and people were talking about, well, there are demon notes. And I was like, what is that? And then it was like, oh, no, there are certain notes in music, and there are certain tones and certain things that are demonic by their very nature. And I said... Well, I didn't really get into a long back and forth with this person because it's like, hey, if you don't like the intro outro music, like you can easily skip it. Like I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. It's what I like. You know, it's my show. Like if you want to create your own show and have, you know, different music, go for it. But this idea that there are tones that God can't use for his glory because there are gospel centered, brutal bands that when you're listening to them with an untrained ear, you're like, oh my gosh, this is clearly satanic. And it's like, these are all Bible believing Christians that are playing chords on their guitar and they're singing things and like they're singing the verse, but in your ears, it's like, but, but wait a minute. It's like God created everything for good. And you're thinking he can't redeem it. You, you think that he can't like, there are categories of things that he can't work in and you can get it as minute as particular notes and songs. Yeah. I think that Paul has something to say about that in Romans, the sovereignty of God. Um, who are we as the, as the clay to tell the potter, like, why did you make me this way? Like, can God, I mean, God, he literally says, God said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I've had mercy on. I will, uh, I don't remember the rest of the verse. I'm not in there, but like, basically he's talking about his sovereignty. Like there are things that he created for, for evil that will be, uh, that will go to destruction. And there are things that he has, has, uh, made for good. And we don't get to question that. I think he talks about Job too in there. Like God is sovereign. That's a really, uh, I don't know, deep, deep hole. I mean, there's so many things in that, but, <laughs> agree, that's but, so but bringing it back to this for just Sorry. a second, when you think about in that, in that same sense, he also, I believe references Pharaoh and he references yeah, that right. he hardened his yeah, heart eventually hardened, hardened after heart, yeah. so many di- And at that point, it kind of goes to the same thing where Pharaoh was essentially cauterizing himself against unbelievable evidence. And then eventually, uh, he just, he hardened his heart and, and that was the situation. So I think that's another warning for why we want to be extremely careful about mm-hmm. what environments we put ourselves in. I, I agree. I mean, for me, it's like, okay, for everything created by God is good. How far does that go? Mm. Yeah. Because Kyle, I have never heard of demon notes ever. That was, that was news that, to me. That's a brand new concept. And I Same. go back to really surface level things like think about diet fads. You know, one day you're just supposed to be eating meat and the next day you're supposed to be avoiding carbs and all this stuff. Well, Jesus ate bread and all that sort of thing. Everything's good, and the Bible says that, you know, essentially you should have everything in moderation to an extent you should enjoy it, not put one thing on a pedestal. So, um, well, to the, to the moderation piece as well, like, everything that's outside of moderation or outside of God's, like, intent for that thing becomes sinful. Right. And so it's like, food in and of itself is not a sinful thing. It's how we nourish ourselves. It's how we move on. God gave us taste buds, which is a mind-blowing thing. Because he could have just given us the ability to digest food, but no, he gave us the ability to enjoy it. Like, that's a good thing. But also, sex is a very, very good thing. There are parts of our bodies that their only purpose is to make us feel good. They serve no other physiological purpose, right? And kids, if you're listening to this, ask your parents. But like, that, that's the thing that's very interesting about, about that is like, 
But then if that becomes your idol, and if you have that outside of the covenant of one woman for life, under, under the covenant of, of marriage before God, then it becomes sinful. So the same thing with all of this is it's like, okay, are there bands out there that will use the same notes or the same whatever? I don't, I don't know anything about music, but they'll, they'll play the same guitar riffs. And yet, as opposed to having a gospel-centered lyrics and, and music and trying to praise God through that, they're trying to bring people towards darkness. Well, yeah, it's like, there's nothing wrong with the note. Like, it's how it's being used and who it's serving. Well, I think that's to the point, right? Like, exactly. and nothing is to be rejected. So I looked up rejected, and, and it means despised or abominated. It means twisted to become sinful and outside of God's right. intended purpose. I, I think, so my mind, so I did. I think, I think God's word has layers. Right. I mean, there is the surface layer and then God can also have two or three different meanings with the same statement. And so when I read that, I almost think everything created by God created in the image of God is good. What about people? Right. People who have been abominated, despised, who have been twisted or become sinful. They're not they're not outside of God's redemptive power. But when something gets twisted, despised or abominated. Yeah, that's, it becomes not good at that point. It becomes not good. But they're not outside of redemption. They're not too far for God to reach and to pull back. Well, it almost feels like as well, when you go back where it's talking about forbidding a marriage and uh, abstinence of foods, it goes back to when we were talking in Galatians about, okay, yeah, 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 you know, grace through faith and all that, but gospel plus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, grace through faith and like that kind of thing. And so it's like, okay, people had to almost like, I think all of us have worked in, a vof- in an office at some point where somebody who was not good at their job was doing a really good job of pretending by just being really busy. And so they're just moving stuff. Like they would move their cup of pins from this part of their desk to that part of their desk because they read, you know, half an article about Six Sigma and, you know, making things, you know, even more efficient and that kind of thing. It's like, but they're not doing anything. They're not producing anything, but it makes them feel like they've, they're doing something. It's like they're, what are they're shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's like, it seems like work, but, it, but it's actually useless. I feel like there's a little bit of that as well to where it's just like, it's this creation of confusion. Like you're almost giving this ideology, like I'm doing yep. something here by adding standards that God would not say is a standard. Yep. Think about how practical the Bible is. I mean, going back to your point on sex, it basically says, make sure that you and your wife are taking care of each other and not neglecting each other because I've essentially created you to where this is necessary. It's not putting it on a pedestal and glorifying it like culture does, but it's very practically saying, Make sure that you're taking care of each other. And it, to me, that's just one other reason why I think the Bible is so true. He's talking about sex, ladies and gentlemen. If, in case you were wondering, you know, we, uh, we're just, he didn't want to say the word because he's a nice guy. But, you know, it just kind of is what it is. But, like, guys, that's another thing that I'm, I'm struck by whenever you're reading the Bible is if you read through it and you're busy and you're distracted mentally, how easily could you buzz through these first four or five verses yep. and not even think about it? Yep. And it's like Very there's easy. so much here. I mean, we spent a little over 20 minutes just talking about those first few verses and we got to move on. But like, that's, that's the reality of scripture guys is allow the Holy spirit to help you understand and what you need to do, what you need to bring to the table is concentration and quiet. And so there are times, and I'm the worst about this. Like I can't stand silence. I need this podcast is over. Need to go to the next one where it's going to be a two time speed because we got to get things done. We got to listen to the thing. And then, Oh, now it's time to read the book. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And then now I'm trying to go to sleep. Well, I got to take, you know, melatonin because otherwise my brain's moving too fast. It's like, no, no, bring yourself quietly to the scripture. If you need to turn on brown noise or white noise maker or something like that, that's great. But bring your attention to what, what are you, what are you shaking? What is all you, you racists go to YouTube right now and type in brown noise. It's different than white noise. Okay. I don't know what the difference is, but when I searched for white noise at one point, I got brown noise that popped up. Y'all can look at me like I'm crazy. I don't give a crap. Have but all no, 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 you're do you fine. know how many thousands of people just, just paused what they were doing, pause this to just go to YouTube to see if brown noise was a thing. Probably as many that paused to go look up demon notes a okay, little while yeah, ago. Probably. I was making a good point and you jack wagons decided to get no, me we off We derailed of it. But I do want to get, God. I do want to get to verse eight here because I know people are going to be like, okay, God, you know, you know, please make sure that these guys cover that because I do spend a lot of time on the show talking about making sure you're physically resilient, making sure that you work out. I get asked about workouts all the time. Maybe that's something that we'll do in the future so guys can, can get squared away. But verse eight here, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise 
for the present life and also for the life to come. So here's the thing about verse eight. I feel like a lot of people want to focus on one part of that verse and not the entire verse. Okay. People need to focus on both parts because, because they just, they typically fat people, they want to dismiss the first part. Shut up, Derek. But they, it's like, for a while, bodily training is of some value. So what they say is like, oh, I don't need to exercise at all because that's just of some value. Now I'm going to pretend I'm going to spend all that time I would have spent taking care of my body. And I'm going to put that into godliness and how that's of major value. That's part of the reason why we talk about spiritual, Mm -hmm. mental, and physical resilience. If you only focus on physical resilience, it will be to the detriment of the other two areas. If you only focus on spiritual resilience, of all the categories, that's the best one, but you still have the mandate to focus on mental and physical resilience. And so that's the thing for me there. I, I think people, especially pastors, they've, they've used this scripture and scriptures like this to say, hey, I'm so busy with the word and I'm so busy with prayer and I'm so busy with ministering. I just don't have time to take care of myself. And I've heard, literally heard people tell me, yeah, hey, you know, Kyle, I, you know, I would work out and I would buy a diet and all that, but man, I'm just too busy with my kids. And it's like, okay, well, you're deleting about 10 years of experience with your grandkids because you're going to die early, uh, assuming all things are created equal. And so I, I want y'all to kind of talk about that because I know I'm like the extreme got to work out guy, but you know, it's just different. Well, I think, I mean, I think certainly that God has gifted us a body, um, an earthly body that we should steward appropriately and we should train our body. And like you're saying, like we shouldn't, we shouldn't just not work out and then miss out on, you know, gifts of spending time with mm. our grandkids. Yeah. Um, but I think that can become people's idols too. Very easy. Um, yeah. Because like, what's more important? Like it, it is it is good to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, it is still only our earthly body. Um, but I, I think there's balance. There's got to be a balance. Like you can't just say, ah, to heck with it. I'm not going to work out ever. But you also can't just that this is my worship because then it's, then it's an idol. So, well, to me, it's another practical element. I mean, the, I'm not a, an expert in historical writing, but the fact that this was written several thousand years ago by Paul and he acknowledges very plainly that, you know, bodily training is of value. Was was a big thing for me to say. Yeah, that that aligns with what all of the science is saying today. And he he you know he says that, and we should be doing it. So don't put point. it on a pedestal. Yeah. That's a really well, good point. Well, and even at that time, like I've always wondered, like what if we were able to be plopped down two thousand years ago into these areas? Like I think, like what if I had been born in like nineteen oh two, and then like would I have been a major league baseball player? Because yeah. were these people like? Because you look at these old videos, and it's like these aren't athletes. Like I remember Matt, like because uh, you when I first started getting into soccer in college, like you were like the best soccer player that I knew. And you did think so, so easily. And then you look at these old videos of these soccer matches and it's like, all these people are slow. All of them are terrible. And so if you think about 2000 years ago, there's no keto diet. There's no <laughs> like Tabata uh, things that people are working out and doing. Like, did they even know what pushups were? Like they weren't bench pressing and squatting and deadlifting mm-hmm. and those types of things. They were just living their life. But even in that culture, there's acknowledgement that you do need to take care of your body. Mm-hmm. Now, what I see has happened as we see just about everything, everything bends towards idolatry. And we live in a culture now, and it's really especially weird with, with women now, and maybe, maybe this isn't the time to talk about it, but you have people that are just absolutely obsessed with their bodies. And they're on Instagram, and they're you know, on YouTube and all that. And you have these bodybuilders that are pretending to not be on you know, Tranibal and all these other like steroids and all that. And you're comparing yourself to these people and, you know, they've got the, the perfect triceps and the perfect ab and, you know, they make the, the make the V and then you've got these women, you know, they're, they're attracted to guys with dad bods, but then they have bolder shoulders. And it's just like, I feel like we've, we've bent towards the idolatry of the body as if the temple is what saves us, right? Well, right? The, the temple of the body. We, we're made to worship. We're made to worship. We either worship God or we worship something else. And that, like, that's it. Like if, if you break it down, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. So we're either worshiping God or we're worshiping whatever. And, and for some people, yeah, that's working out. Well, and I think Kyle, to your point there and Matt, to your point as well is hey, go back and look at verse seven, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. That's the over, I mean, first godliness is the overarching goal, right? right. You look up godliness and it talks about reverence and respect and, and piety towards God. Like having this, we talked about it in, in uh, first Timothy three, about godliness and how that is the goal 
Um, but I do, I do think it's funny. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I looked up silly there. I was reading it and it, did you look it up? It, it's fit only for old women yeah. is, is the actual <laughs> translation. Why are they there. hating on old women? I don't get it. Uh, like, I don't, I don't know anything. He set, that's, he's setting himself up for some, some later chapters here in this letter. That's exactly right. Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> like just Paul's kind of passive aggressive digs there are pretty funny, but the, the goal here is godliness. The goal is godliness in words of faith, in good doctrine, in reverence, respect, piety towards God. And, and we will, we will worship. I do think, Kyle, to your point, and that's why I love um, Undaunted.life, a man's podcast, is because we, you push not just one area of resilience. Like, hey, we're not just going to push back re- darkness in one area of life. We're going to push it back in three areas of life because discipline in one area of life lends itself towards discipline in other areas of life. What and part of it, Derek, to that is preparedness. So I had something that happened literally yesterday. So yesterday I had uh, it was the first time in my life where I thought I was going to have to actually pull my pistol. Um, it was a very intense moment. Um, I'll, I'll try to be brief with the story just so we can you know say the point and make the point. But uh, I always typically position myself to where I can see the door, just kind of out of habit, so I can kind of scan and see what's going on in a very, very small restaurant in Oklahoma City, so everyone's kind of on top of each other. And I see a man walking the sidewalk outside the, you know, the front windows, and he's just kind of pacing back and forth. And he, he's just, something's off about him, because he had, like, really nice sunglasses on, but he was wearing, like, coveralls, like he was working, but then he had a nice jacket over his coveralls, so it was just, something was off about him, and he's carrying a backpack. And then he walks to the window slowly, and he's peeking in the window, looking at everybody, getting really, really close to the window. And so my, my buddy's talking, but I'm not really paying attention to it. I'm paying attention to this guy. And then he, he pulls out, he doesn't pull out anything, but he, he turns his hand into like what, whenever you make like a finger gun, and then he starts shooting through the window with his fake you know, finger gun at the people that are inside. And at this point, I'm like, oh, okay, this is it. It's going down. And then he walks in. So at this point, I've got my hand on my pistol. It's on the safety. It's like, I have no idea what's about to happen, but it's about to happen quickly. He's about 15 feet away from me, like really, really close to me. And this is one of those places where they don't really have like a lobby area. You're just kind of standing around until someone notices you and then tries to seat you. And so he picks up a menu and he's pretending to look at the menu, but he's looking through his glasses at everybody else in there. And it was, it was just one of those moments where it's like, I I could feel, you know, from Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman's uh, book, you know, I could feel my body preparing for, for violence, preparing for something. Because at this point I'm so tuned up. I'm like, if he reaches in his, his coveralls, something has to happen. If he reaches into his backpack, something has to happen. And I'm going to, cause I'm the only one paying attention. Like everyone else that's in the restaurant is oblivious to this guy. And then he starts like kind of talking and like saying things to people at different tables and they don't even notice that he's saying things. And then, uh, you know, luckily he walks out. Okay. And you know, he walks down the sidewalk. One of the servers went out like a moron and was like trying to, you know, engage the guy in a conversation. Then he started coming back. And, you know, then around that time, that's when people started to tune in and be like, oh, what's going on? Like, you know, what, what was wrong with that guy? But in that moment, there's no time for training. There's no time for a lot of internal dialogue. If he had pulled a pistol or a knife or something like that, I was the first line of defense for everybody, every image bearer of Christ in that room. Luckily, nothing happened. Nothing had to happen. But there was a level of preparedness that I had made well before that happened. So physically, I was prepared. Because like, if you can stop something from happening without killing someone or maiming them, then that's what you do. So years and years of wrestling, years and years of jujitsu, but also mindset. Because there are wrestlers and jujitsu fighters that would never get into a fight in public because there's no mats. You're not wearing a gi and there's no timer or something like that. But that's why I always get on to people to where it's like, you know, they're, they're spiritual warriors, right? That they've got that nailed. But physically, if God required them to do something that required their physicality, would they be ready? Because imagine a prayer warrior in that room. Like, what, are you going to have a Bible study? The guy pulls out a gun and starts shooting people, image bearers of Christ. How are you going to push back that level of darkness in that exact moment? If you, you know, we, we saw this where there's several examples in culture of people uh, seeing like there was a story, you know, uh, Loudoun County that happened, you know, a few years ago, uh, where, you know, this transgender student is raping a girl in the stall, anally raping a girl in the stall in the, in the, the school. And months and months and months after this, um, story broke, 
it was found out that there was a school teacher that walked into the bathroom and saw two sets of, of feet underneath yeah. the stalls. And if you're being anally raped, I'm assuming you're not exclaiming joy in that moment. And they didn't do anything. They walked out, reminded me of uh, Sandusky at Penn State. He's raping a boy in the bathroom and one of the graduate assistants, who's a big guy. Yeah, like, he, yeah he was a big guy. Yeah, big guy. Sees Jerry Sandusky raping a child and leaves and like calls his dad and asks him what he should do. And so I guess that's part of, I know this is kind of a long soliloquy here, but that, like, that's one of those things where like people, when I'm, I'm talking about the practicality of pushing back darkness in the moment. And so when men only want to read books, and they only want to go to church, and they only want to do those things. Those things, obviously, we see here from verse 8, are of the utmost importance to prepare yourself spiritually and to, to lean towards godliness. But if you were incapable of protecting the sheep of image bearers of Christ, mm-hmm. like, is that good? And I'm not saying everyone has to be an MMA fighter. I'm not saying that everybody needs to conceal carry. But like, in that moment, like in that restaurant or in that bathroom or something like that, it, that's not the time for exegetically explaining to somebody why what they're doing is wrong. You have to stop it. I agree. Uh, you look at a guy like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like he's no slouch when it comes to intellect, right? He was physically fit. He played sports and did things with his students, you know, because he, because he was physically fit. So like he was, he was very short in stature, but, and, and one of the greatest minds of, you know, the early ninth or eight, 20th century but was also physically fit. But no one would say Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, you know, a gargantuan wrestler type guy who could knock somebody out with one punch, but he was physically fit because that was important. And he wasn't afraid to take action. He, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great point, Kyle. Not being afraid to take action to protect the image of God is, in my opinion, a form of, hey, hey that is an aspiration of godliness because I want to protect others and I want to use my God-given strength, physical strength, mental strength, emotional, spiritual, all of those strengths to protect or pursue um, God's other creation. Yeah, I'd add one thing to that because I think everything you just said is exactly right. And I'll make this really short, but I've got an experience that I had a couple of months ago. I took my family on a cruise, won't say the cruise line, et cetera. Found myself sitting um, by the pool and I have two kids. One's a, a small girl. And she was out playing and I noticed that she gets out of the pool and there's about a 20 year old man talking with her in a way that seems really inappropriate. I, I ask her to come and see me and she comes and she's upset because she wants to continue to talk to this guy. And I say, Hey, what are you doing? And what was he saying and all that? Well, he was telling me that he doesn't live with his parents. He lives by himself and he works at Disney world and he wants to, and things just got strange. So my wife came back, I explained to her what was happening, I watched what was happening a little bit more, and then uh, through a series of events, we figured out that this kid was, or this boy, whatever, was essentially following these children around. And he would go to the hot tub with only the small kids, not the adults, and it was very strange. I made eye contact with him, I felt some things I'd never felt before. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did is I had my family stay there, and as opposed to us just leaving, you know, see something, say something. It's something you'll hear a lot. Went down to security, went and found the people, all that stuff. They, they took me to the little bitty room and they, you know, let me know that I was on camera and they asked me all these questions. And I said, look, it's probably nothing, but we, we need to be having a conversation about this. They followed me up and they instructed me what they were going to do. The whole security force came by and from a distance, they watched him, were able to identify him. And he went, he got rack up and he went into the hot tub with the kids and all that sort of thing. Have no idea how it evolved. But what I do know is that if he didn't do anything bad, Nothing, nothing would have happened to him. But I think many people probably would not have taken the time right. to make sure they did something. So even if you're not physically able to do something right in that moment, for people that are listening, you can do something. And I think it's important for everybody that the overwhelming ethic is the protection of those that are in the flock. Now, there are some people that are like, well, <clears throat> this is just my earthly body. If I lose this earthly body, like I shouldn't be afraid. Of, of, of death and all those different things, like that is not a cue to you to make yourself more appealing to a potential predator, regardless of what the predator's intent is. Because if you want to say that, that's not just a fight against just war theory. That's an argument against police. That's an argument against anybody that would protect anybody for any reason at any point, right? And, you know, people even say, hey, you know, that's, that's like you're trying to, you know, play God to a degree by like trying to intercede in these exact situations. But I think it's a lot of people that ha- are more cowardly in their countenance and in their personalities 
They don't want to get in a fight. They don't want to be physical. They're not trained to do so. And so they build this philosophy around, you know, not doing those things. And then they backfill it with some scripture and they pretend that, you know, when Jesus told Peter in the garden, like to, you know, put his sword away, that that was somehow Jesus saying, hey, we shouldn't be violent for any reason whatsoever, like no matter what. But I I would love for those people to make the argument to me about when you're violent to protect image bearers of Christ, when you're violent for good, that that is a bad thing that we should keep ourselves from doing. doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Agree. We could probably talk about that forever. <laughs> I think so too. Like I think a, so like too. A long time, so. I think so too. Okay. Let's dial back in. Um, okay. We are, we were on verse eight, uh, verse 10 for to this end, we toil and strive this being godliness, right? Reverence, respect, piety towards God, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior for all people. I found this really interesting especially of those who believe. I found the especially, because it wasn't only for those who believe, but it was especially for those who believe. This is a really packed uh, couple sentences, because like, if you go back to verse 9, Paul again right. says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That's about, the, I think that's the third or fourth time he's done that just in First Timothy. Right. Where he's saying, okay, this is a point that I really want to hammer home. Timothy, like if you haven't been paying attention, like read and pay attention here because I want you to get this. Right. If you've stopped paying attention, yeah. listen now. If you hear only one thing I say, <laughs> hear this, right? Yeah, exactly. When some people would read verse 10, Derek, and think universalism. Exactly. Right. So uh, he's the savior, savior of all people, but he's like super duper savior for those who believe. Right. It's like, but, but again, this is, this is where we get into, uh, if you're a mature studier of the Bible, and again, Matt, you've said this a bunch, and some people would say that this is circular reasoning, but you let the Bible explain the Bible. You let the Bible read the Bible, those types of things. So if you build your entire theology based on 1 Timothy 4.10, you're going to say, everyone goes to hell. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> everyone goes <laughs> well, to heaven. Hey. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. Everyone gets to go to heaven, but you know, that maybe there's a special part of heaven for the especially, right? You know, the, the believers and those types of things. But I mean, really what you're seeing there is Jesus. And again, this kind of gets into Calvinist theology, which, you know, we don't have our resident Calvinist here to argue with, but it's like, you know, he's the savior to all people, to the ones that would believe in him. Yep. So it's like his grace is available to everyone, but it's, it's going to save the believers, right? Because it's the same thing as like, if you are drowning and someone throws out a life vest or, you know, a, a floaty of some kind, like that is available to everyone in that situation that's drowning, but only the people that hop on board or grab it are going to be able to float and save themselves. Well, I think Kyle, we talked about that um, when we went through first Timothy two, right? Because first Timothy two, four says, uh, I'll, I'll get part of three here. Um, God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, the truth is Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and only those that claim him as their Savior are saved and come into relationship with him. But it, you're right. If you build your entire theology on that right there, it's, it's broken. It's absolutely broken. So, yes, does he have a desire for all to come to him? Yes. Will all come to him? No, not everybody that Jesus talked to believed in him and his, you know what I mean? And his mission. So there are some going into Matt, your deep Calvinist dive of Romans um, (laughs) that that we could go into here. uh, Well, um, yeah, I didn't mean to derail there, but like, I think for me, it's like, there's, there's a thing called common grace too, where the goodness of God can show up for people who aren't in the faith. Like they're like, like a common grace or a common goodness of God would be taste buds. Like everybody has taste buds, even if you're not a believer. So God, so the goodness of God shows, shows there like that. Oh my gosh, this food tastes so good. Is it and, ice cream? Not where, not where <laughs> Kyle gets ice cream from. Don't, don't be hating on <laughs> ice cream choices. For sure. But I, I think, I think it's, I think it, it, to me, it kind of speaks to like, like we strive for these things because the goodness of God shows up to all people, especially those who believe. But like the all people is not, it's, yeah, he's definitely not preaching universalism. Like I think we'd be foolish, like Kyle said, to just take that one verse and say, that's it. 
Everybody's there. Well, we all have our favorite. Of course verses, we do. But, you know? but I mean, this this verse this verse kind of goes to Romans. It also goes to Titus. Of like, this is not this is not universalism. But there are goodnesses of God that that everyone experiences. That's kind of some of the, some of the things I took out of that. Well, here, here's what I throw at you. I don't know what your opinion is on this, but this is Warren Wearsby commentary and he says uh, the words translated suffer reproach are an athletic term from which we get our english word agonize it is the picture of an athlete straining and giving his best to win a christian who wants to excel must really work at it by the grace of god and to the glory of god which goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning that you've got to put yourself in there you've got to be reading you've got to be participating in this experience it's not a free ride i kind of feel like a lot of christians think that they'll become more sanctified via osmosis. Right. Yep. Like exactly. almost like they can just hang out at church and passively do stuff. Go ahead, Derek. I, I know you want to hop in on that. No, no, no. You're, I, I think you're absolutely right. And the reason I believe that is one, we're Westerners. So we just believe we deserve it. Um, we're entitled to goodness. And if, Hey, good people, if good people go to heaven, which I don't believe is true, but anyway, if good people go to heaven, well, obviously we're good people. We're Westerners. Yeah. And we go to church. So, and we're educated and, and, and we yeah. know words, yeah. So therefore, yeah, I fit in that bucket when it's not true. And it is exactly what you're talking about, Zach. It is striving and pushing and training and developing. And that comes from understanding God's word, living out God's word, and growing closer to Christ through the pursuit of toil and strive towards godliness. Well, and knowing you have a problem in the first place. Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, and Zach, there, there's an apologetic that goes back to verse 8 where you're talking about physically developing the body. Whether you're an athlete or not, whether you've been a bodybuilder or not, whether you've, you know, seen, you know, extreme performance and bodily changes based on your, you know, background prowess of exercising. Everybody knows that if you want to have a better body, to get stronger, to do all those things, it requires hard work in the gym. Okay. That doesn't mean everybody does it, but intellectually, everybody knows that, that if I were to run, I would likely be less people, right? I would have less things on my body and I would be better at running. Like if I want a strong chest, I need to bench press. If I want strong legs, I need to squat. Like everybody knows that. But then we don't act that way when it comes to spiritual strength Mm -hmm. and spiritual resilience. Because I guess in school, it's like you don't read Lord of the Flies, you know, five times to understand the context. You read it once, you take a test, and then you move on to to Kill a Mockingbird. Or I guess that's been canceled. You move on to something else, another book. And so we, we don't really reckon with the scripture. We don't really struggle with the scripture. We don't struggle via prayer. We don't do sets, you know, of prayers or something like that. It's like, all right, I'm going to do three sets of 10 of uh, Romans two. You know, like we don't, we don't do that. And so it's almost like a lot of us just say like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll go into church is fine. Listening to K-Love is fine. Listening to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast or listening to John MacArthur sermons, like that's enough for me to, to grow. And it's like, Imagine if once a week for an hour you exercised and then you expected to be in elite level shape. Like that, that's not how it works. Like that's not how it works by any stretch of the imagination. But the thing about it is though, is your gas tank for godliness and spiritual development is vastly bigger than your gas tank for exercise. Because mm-hmm. even if you're a Ironman triathlete that has to work out three or four hours a day to get ready for, you know, the, the bike and the swim and the run, like, at the end of the day, that's, that's a few hours a day, whereas most people are working out between 45 minutes to 60 minutes a few times a week. But how much more gas tank do you have for reading the scripture, for praying? Because that's not going to take it out of you in the same way that extreme physical exertion would, you know? No, I agree. I think where our treasure is, that's where our heart lies. And when Jesus is talking about that, he's talking about like, what's it, like I think one of the things is, is what is important to us. And if, if, if godliness and striving to be sanctified is, is important to us, we're going to get into the word. Like every, everybody says, I don't have time to read the Bible as they're scrolling Facebook. I don't have any time. Or they just, they just binge watched, you know, 12 episodes of their favorite show, but I don't have time to read the Bible. And I say that coming from a place where I've, I've felt that I've been there and like, I don't have time to read the, oh, wait, wait, oh, I do. You have time to make time for what is important to you. And, and I, I struggle with that for sure. But I think that's, that's, a, that's a point that we should all take home. Yeah, trying to tie this together. I've been through some situations physically where I've been uh, put, in, put in places where I can't physically 
deal with the scenario I'm in. And I recognize that I needed to have the training, right? When we tie this back to the spirit and having control and all of that sort of thing, think about when you're dealing with an interpersonal situation, whether it's family or somewhere else, and this concept of emotional intelligence. Can you control yourself inside? Modern science is saying that emotional intelligence is critical. And the way that that comes out is with self-control and gentleness and all of these things. So if you're thinking about a way that you can have the discipline that you bring to the exercise world and something that's very practical, it's can you, are you really able to exhibit these things? And as you're starting to have interactions with people, I think you have opportunities to work on that and to pray about it. And it's something that is, is very practical in your life that you can start to see change with. It's different from, I'm going to read this thing and hopefully osmosis is going to allow me to just behave like this. You have to make a decision to become that person. And once you do, your relationships get better. Well, I think a lot of people don't understand, like when you see these guys are in their forties and fifties and even in their sixties and they can do a bunch of pull-ups, they can do a plank for everything, do all these things. They didn't start training in their forties, fifties and sixties. These guys have been doing this since they were teenagers. And their body is gristled for that. Their body understands that. Like one of the things is when you get, cause you know, doing jujitsu, starting jujitsu in my thirties, there's a difference between getting grabbed by a guy who's strong physically that has started training in his thirties and getting grabbed by somebody who has been squeezing things since they were a child, mm. like squeezing necks and grabbing legs and lifting people off the ground. Like there's, it's something different when a kid starts wrestling or doing jujitsu at four or five, and now they're an adult, their body is built around being able to do that thing. Think about how much gristle you create spiritually. If you are constantly putting in the, in the work, Dale Partridge, who came on the show last year, he's like, it's not how many years you've been a Christian. It's how many hours. Like, and you think like, it's not how many years you've been working out. It's how many hours you've been working out. And like that, that's a really, really big thing, which I do think kind of lends itself to a discussion about, about gifting because some people are physically gifted. They're athletically gifted. Yep. Like they're really, really smooth. Like I remember, you know, Matt, I think I've mentioned your soccer stuff already, but you're a very, you were a very smooth soccer player that had power. Then I played with guys that only had power and I had guys that only were smooth. Like they weren't capable of both. That was a gift that you cultivated. That was a sharp knife you were given by God that you cultivated over time. And that became your soccer style. You know, whether you do jujitsu or whether you're a runner, like everyone kind of has a style of things that they do in terms of exertion. And then you get into verse 14, where Paul is basically telling Timothy, again, his pupil, do not neglect the gift you have. Okay. There's, there's no, there's nothing he's imploring him here to say like, Hey, develop this gift, this gift, and this gift, because you're, you know, you're, you're kind of struggling in these areas. Hey, you have some weaknesses in these areas, so let's kind of bring those up from bad to decent, and then you know we'll kind of go from there. It's like, do not neglect the gift you have, and he's specifically talking about his, his gift of speaking and prophesying and in those types of things. And I feel like for a lot of us, we think our gifts inside the body of Christ are somehow different than the gifts that we have inside of our families or inside of our businesses or any of those types of things. And so, like, you know, I remember, you know, Kelsey and I were going to a church way back in the day, and Kelsey's a great organizer. She's a great like, hey, let's take all these things together and whether it's thoughts or like, you know, desks, like she can organize everything. And she lent that skill set to the church and said, ring me out for your purposes because I was given organization as a gift. It just makes sense to me. For me, I can read a 500 page book and distill that down into two or three minutes and explain to you what you need to use to where that can practically work. That's a skill set that I can make better over time, but that was a skill set that I was given. But man, guys, I feel like most of us neglect our gifts, specifically as it pertains to the work of the gospel. Am I wrong? Do you agree with that? What oh, you you're say? absolutely right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, I'll dive in first. I think, Kyle, you talked about it in 1 Timothy 3 of, hey, typically maybe an alpha male outside of the church is a killer in the business world because he's a great leader. In order, and then he goes inside the church doors and he shuts it off. Like, this is, nope, this is my place to receive. This is my place to just get and do nothing. And be talked at for an hour so that I can turn around and go be a killer outside. I think, I believe, no, God has given us gifts and we should be able to use that gift towards the glory and magnification of God through his local church. I mean, I, that, let's reach more people for Christ. Through the serving of his body. I, it's, I, I don't think you're saying you shouldn't go fill up because like that that's is a not big, what I, that's no, right. I, I know, no, no, I know no, you're not. No, yeah. Like you should definitely go to church to receive, like that's why we go because we want to be, we want to continue to be tethered to God. We want to, we want to be filling up 
um, our spiritual cup, as it, as it were. But yeah, I, I think we have been gifted things that can be used to serve the body of Christ. Right. Is there a difference between talents and gifts? Yes. Um, I, big question. I'm Stop just, asking just, big, yeah. head big question, <laughs> guys. Zach, we've got like two yeah. minutes. You left like how here. everybody paused and we're yeah. like, I don't know. Nobody okay. wants to say it wrong, right? So the only okay. reason I the only reason I bring it up is because I know in the Bible that it's it's very specific about what biblical gifts might be. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Yeah. Right. And that's where I think to me the delineation yeah. goes between talent is a talent. Yes. Hey, it could be a personality. It could be a. It could be, I, doubt, I don't think that there's a spiritual gift of jujitsu. There could be, right. but it could be a talent that you grow and develop over years when you start squeezing things at five years old. Yeah. But here, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So that's a spiritual gift that's imparted by the Holy Spirit once you received it and people pray for you. Yeah. I think Eric, Eric Lydell is a, is a great example of the difference between talents and spiritual gifts. Like he was really fast and that was a God given talent. And he put off missionary to do what, what God had crafted him to do in a sense. He, he, he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Right. And he had some arguments with his sister, like, Hey, why are you not going into mission? This is important to our family. This is what we, this is what we've been called by the Bible to do. And he said, I will do that. But I, I have literally been made to run fast. I am not going to take God's glory away by not doing that. But then after I'm done with that, I'm going to use the spiritual gift of evangelism and take that to the world. Which builds a platform, right? Which, I mean, exactly. And, well, as soon as you said Liddell, first, first of all, I thought you were talking about the MyPillow guy. And so I was like, because I couldn't remember the MyPillow guy's first name. So, uh, so that's Chariot, how my, Chariots of fire. Yeah, so that's how my brain works. But you're exactly right because, you know, Derek, you mentioned like, you know, jujitsu in and of itself is not a spiritual gift. Yes. Athletic ability, explosiveness, uh, ability, body control. Those are all things that go into being a good jujitsu fighter. And there are guys that can do that incredibly well. And jujitsu is just something that speaks to them. Right. They enjoy it. It's something in their personality that is, is more appealing to them than maybe golf or, or volleyball or, or football or some other sport. But now you have opportunities to, to share the gospel with people because of your competence in a sport. So, I mean, growing up again, I'm just going back to the soccer example. Like you were typically the best guy on your team, no matter what team you're on. And you don't have to say anything because it's the truth. You were the most talented. You were the most skilled. You scored the most. You played midfield, but you scored like a, like a, like a striker. <clears throat> and so just by virtue of how you're able to perform on the field, you're going to be able to get people to listen to you. So everyone talks about this, like when you're around somebody that's really, really competent. So like if you're hanging out with someone that's famous, you'll laugh at their jokes, even when they're not funny. Like you'll listen to them as if they have something special to say when they're just kind of a regular person. And, but, but the reality is, is God gave you these gifts so that he could use them. That they're not for you right. only, right? He granted them to you temporarily because yeah. here you are on this earth for, you know, the extent of a blink of an eye. And again, we, we keep bringing this back to something athletic, but maybe you're a great reader. Like you read quickly, you absorb content, you remember it. Maybe you have an eidetic memory. Like when you read something, it's in your brain for the rest of your life. Imagine what type of value that could provide for you as you're trying to catechize your children or as you're trying to, you know, uh, do something volunteer based at your local library or something like that. You have these skill sets that God has given you for his glory, but we neglect to remember that. We are not the point. Right. And so we think I'm a great athlete. I'm really smart. I'm really good at recall. I'm a good test taker. That's for me. No, that's not for you. He gave that to you so you could use it for somebody else. It goes back to for everything created by God is good in verse four. And then we leave that there with verse 14. So guys, again, this is just kind of my call to all of you. Just think about the stuff in chapter four. Like again, the first four chapters of first Timothy have been absolutely incredible, but how many times did all of us re recognize in the fourth chapter, like crap, we could spend the entire time talking about these yep. couple of dozen words here because there's so much here. And so guys, again, uh, we keep being implored by, by, by everybody here to let the Bible read the Bible, understand that you can't just pull out a singular verse and make that your life's verse and only look at that as it pertains to the rest of the Bible. But man, there's so much more we can get into, but we're going to have to leave it there. Come back next Sunday, guys, where we will dig into first Timothy five. We're coming towards the end of first Timothy. 
Make sure you read that during the week so that you are prepared. All right, guys, we're going to do a quick resilience boost before we let you go. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the link I've got for you today is a link to our donation page. We tell you guys all the time, the only way we're able to keep the lights on and to continue to create content like this is because we have donors like you that are supporting what we're doing directly. So go to that website, hop on board. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.